Welcome. You're now listening to All Saints Woodford Wells podcast. Oh, it's such a, a joy and privilege to be. It's been five years, I think, since I've been here. So quite a while. Lots of, has happened since then. And, you know, I think the last time I was here, my knee was strapped up because I, I uh, ruptured my ACL skiing. I'm pleased to inform you all, if you're interested, that it was miraculously healed. So I went into the operation, had to have a reconstruction as they opened my knee up. It was completely intact and the surgeon had no idea how that happened. Um, I obviously claimed it to be a great miracle. He insisted that it was misdiagnosed. So when I said to him, I had an MRI and it was clear on the MRI, our MRI is often wrong. He said, well, no, not often, but anyway. So praise God, my, I can ski again. So very grateful for any of you who prayed at the time, it worked. Uh, so other things happening uh, over the last couple of years is that Mercy, we've extended our services. So uh, like Paul said, it has been, uh, many of you know, Keys to Freedom, the workbook that you're able to do either in a group or alone. But we now also have something called the Freedom Course, which um, you apply to do. It's 16 weeks. You get facilitated by one of our facilitators uh, about 10 to 12 hours a week of therapeutic support as well as professional counselling, uh, personal training advice if you need that or nutritional advice or occupational therapy. So all of that provided completely free of charge of course um, by God's grace and provision and uh, in the last year we launched it in January 2023 we've seen 106 men and women for the first time in the history of Mercy we've been able to provide direct support to men and women all of the age of 18 uh, and so we're really excited about continuing to do that. Uh, I also decided to do a master's in psychology of mental health and well-being as well as as well as a certificate in cognitive behavioral coaching so I'm now officially a coaching psychologist uh, which is very exciting and I decided this evening with the theme being uh, and, the, and the sort of theme you've been in uh, around humanity to use a little bit of that psychology and do a little bit of a session and a deep dive into the anatomy of our humanity and that's really to um, I, I think knowledge is power I believe knowledge is power. The more you know, the more empowered you can be to do something about the thing, about your life and about yourself. And so part of that really is self-awareness, knowing about you. How are we made up? And so tonight we're going to need to get your thinking head on and concentrate because it's not going to be like a nice easy preach. We're going to actually do some teaching. We're going to have got, I've got a PowerPoint and everything, which is a little scary for me. I'm not, I'm not good with PowerPoint, so I'm hoping that you people up there, you're with me, right? You're going to track with me. Good, thank you. So um, let's pray, actually. Father, I just thank you for your presence here. Lord, I thank you that you created us. And Lord, tonight as we explore a little bit more of the psychology behind humanity. Lord, I pray that you would be the one to turn light bulbs on. I pray that the knowledge will create a sense of empowerment. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. You know, 
people often refer uh, to human beings as, as having three distinct elements, three aspects, uh, which is also known as, as, as tripartite. It's like we're made of three parts. And it's not surprising, really, because we're created in God's image, and he is also three parts, Father God, Father God Son, and Holy Spirit. And for us as humans, we have body, soul, spirit. And if we look in Genesis 1, verse 12, I think it will come up on the screen. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created as in his image. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we have a biblical reference. And one of the things I'm going to do tonight is kind of marry this, the, the psychological evidence-based knowledge with biblical truth. Let's see what those two things can come up with for us. And so we have here a reference in the Bible to us being tripartite. We have spirit, soul, body. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here again, we have another reference in the Bible about us being soul and spirit and joints and marrow. That's the body. And how the word of God can actually bring a separation. It speaks to each of our parts. It can, it can bring clarity and revelation to our bodies and to our souls and to our spirit. And we're going to look tonight at each one of those three elements and explore a little bit. We're going to dig deep. We're going to have a little bit of a, a journey through what each one of those aspects looks like and how they interconnect to each other because I believe that once you know how we're made up it really helps you be able in your everyday life be able to be deliberate and intentional about how you bring about change and so let's look at definition of the soul and I've made this one up it's not some uh something that somebody with way more qualifications than I has done but I believe that this is probably uh, well, it's how I define the soul and it's the, the means of communicating and interacting with connecting and relating to the natural world around us it's the lens through which we see and sense our world, our lives, our relationships it is, it is like a filter that within which we can engage in everything around us the relationships, coming to church, going to work your marriage, your kids it's, it's, that, it's the, the sense of connecting and interacting and relating to the natural world around us. And our soul isn't, I mean, it's a word we often use in the Christian circles, and we don't always know what exactly the soul is made up of. And it's a huge discussion, and lots of people have lots of different opinions about it. But I've done a lot of study on this, and I've believe I have had some incredible revelations from the Holy Spirit about this and we're going to dig into that a little bit tonight but in terms of the soul if you want to kind of break it down and well what is my soul what what, what does that mean uh, there's various elements to it the first one is the mind and even the mind has got different elements it's our thoughts 
it's our attitudes, kind of our mindsets, it's our intellect. That's all in the mind. So the, 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 it all goes on up here. So when you've got lots of racing thoughts or, you, or, you, or the way you think about things, the way you, the mindset that you have, that all sits in the soul area under the mind. Then we've got our emotions. And, you know, modern research and theories say that we have, I think it was a, a, a study done by the University of California in Berkeley that came up with 27 different categories of emotions that humans have. I actually think that if you're a, a woman in menopause, you have twice that. <laughs> I don't think there's enough words in the English language to describe how many emotions women can have. But yeah, there's distinct 27 they came up with. So our emotions are just the feelings, the, the way we feel. And we can name probably four or five or six or seven. Uh, but th there's lots of nuances and lots of little uh, ways in which we as humans can feel and sense the world around us and the, the impact that our lives have emotionally on us. And the third aspect of our soul is our personality. And it's, uh, again, a big area of discussion in the uh, psychology world about are there personality types or are we all on a scale of not to 10 or various different aspects of personality. But the fact is personality has a huge part to play in how we interpret the world around us. It is really just the way that you respond to things. It's whether you find something funny or not. It's how, how, how much you value um, task over person or if, you like, if you're a planner or if you're a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants person. Those things have got a lot. They, they all sit in the soul. There are personalities and they're all reflective of God's incredible personality. You know, he, he gives an aspect of himself into each of us. And we display and reflect uh, different aspects of God's personality as his children. And so those three things are uh, part of our soul area. Now let's move on. I will come back to all of this. And I know I'm like, giving you loads of information, but stay with me. Because it's really uh, important. Um, we have our spirit. And if the soul is the way in which we can interact, relate, communicate uh, with the natural world, the spirit is the same thing, but with the, with the supernatural. So the spirit is our means of communicating and interacting with, connecting and relating to the spiritual realm. It's the lens through which we sense and see spiritual, uh, the spiritual and supernatural dimension. And this is true for every human whether you are a Christian, a believer or not, we all as humans have a spirit. And some people's spirits are awake to the occult. But they're still uh, interacting with the supernatural dimension. It is, we all have a spirit. Some people's spirits are asleep. They're completely not really active spiritually. They don't have any sort of sense of atmosphere or they don't pick up on things or they don't see things or they don't you know, sense things spiritually. Some people are like that, but that doesn't mean they don't have a spirit. It just means their spirit hasn't been awakened yet to, you know, preferably the things of God. But there's lots of people you'll come across who don't know Jesus, who are still very spiritually aware, who, who can sense things, who can see things, who can feel things. So, so having a spirit isn't just within the domain of being a Christian. 
as a Christian, it just means your spirit has been connected to the spirit, to God, to the Trinity, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's things we do in our Christian walk that feed our spirit. They're really important things to do, like read your word, like worship, like um, building a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus for yourself. You know, it says in uh, Matthew 4 that, and I don't have that on the screen, so don't look for it. Uh, Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a, that's a spirit. That's a, this isn't, don't just, Matthew's saying, don't just feed your body. That's just one aspect of who you are. You also need to feed your spirit and you feed your spirit by the word of God. And so moving on to our body. We've looked at our soul and looked at the dimensions of the soul. We've looked at the spirit. The body is basically the vessel that holds both of those elements in place. And Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about us being in our bodies. Not just having a body, but being in our bodies. Our soul and spirit are held within an earthly vessel until the day our body dies and we are given a new body in heaven. And the older I get the more glad I am about that idea. (laughs) So our body is here for the earth. The body we have right now, the, the vessel that contains our spirit, that contains our soul, that is for this period of time here on earth. And when we die and we are renewed in heaven, we, it says in the word, we're giving a new body. doesn't say that we're given a new soul, doesn't talk about a new spirit, just talks about a new body. So our body is the thing that's wasting away. But inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So there's something going on on the inside of us that is, that is spirit to spirit. And feeding our spirit and growing our spirit and leading our soul and learning what it means to actually be, be a person who can lead that part of ourselves is a really important part of growing, of maturing, of becoming whole and healed. And so whilst each of those elements are distinct, they're separate, they're, they have different functions, they are completely interconnected, obviously, because None of us are walking around with our soul one way and the spirit. They're all, it's all interconnected within ourselves. And so, you know, that there's a real, you can sense the interconnection sometimes by things like, for instance, um, phantom pregnancies is a good example where the mind, where, the, where, where that part is so convinced that there's a pregnancy, it affects physically the body even to the point where hormones are released and the body starts acting as if it's pregnant when there is absolutely scientifically no pregnancy present. It's just the interconnection of soul, spirit, body and the body is responding to a belief system in the mind. And so we've looked at those three things and there's some of you who might know this already, who are familiar with what I've said so far, might notice that there's something missing that I haven't said yet. And this is where I kind of felt a few years ago, the Holy Spirit really kind of blow my mind a little on this because I'd always said and always been led to believe and always followed in the footsteps of those who'd said it, that the soul was will, 
I can't even say it anymore because I've, I've, I've so trained myself. It was uh, mind, will, and emotions. And actually, when I was looking into this and studying, I just had this absolute Holy Spirit moment of him saying to me, wrong. Literally, that's all he said. Like, I don't know if God speaks to you like that, but literally, I'm, I'm preparing a message, I'm preparing some teaching, and I'm writing out about, <laughs> about mind, will, and emotion, and he just went wrong. Okay, uh, do you want to tell me more than that, Lord? <laughs> I'm going to need more than that. <laughs> and so I went on a bit of a journey with him where he took me through some scriptures and showed me some things about where the will sits. And that's where we're going to focus tonight. Because I've said all what I've said and that's just a little bit of context. But really what I want to focus on tonight is the power of the will. And how much a part of our humanity, what an essential, strategic, like significant part of our humanity, the will actually is. And where it's positioned within ourselves, within our being, within us as humans. Because it has a very particular place to be, which is right in the very center of our being. If you want a definition of Will, I would say it is the ultimate seat of authority, autonomy, and agency within each of us. It's a distinct feature of humanity. Again, in the image of God. God has a will. <laughs> we know it's by his will that everything happens. It's by his will that we were even created. It's by his will that creation was created everything is there's the will of God is central to God and so our will is central to us why does that matter well it matters for lots of reasons one we need to know how to use that when you go right back to the beginning, to Genesis, the whole reason why God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden was so that humanity could exercise their will. It was about choice. If the tree didn't exist, I mean, God created the tree and then said, for no apparent reason, there's not actually anything wrong with the tree. It was just so that humanity would not be like animals, just on instincts, just on DNA, just on that's inbuilt, it's just what we do. No, humanity needed to be different. Humanity needed to be a reflection of God himself. Therefore, humanity needed to have will, needed to have choice. And it says to me, and I'll make a statement that might shock some of you, but I'll explain it, so don't worry. It says to me that God is not in control. He is in charge. But he's not in control. Because he actually gave us control over much of ourselves and the world around us. And he is in control of what we give him control of in ourselves. That's the difference. Because let's just take this logically. If God was actually in control, 
as in he's controlling everything. He's in control. He's not doing a very good job of it. Just saying it as it is. It's pretty messed up out there. So saying, oh, God's in control. I'm like, is he though? No, he's in charge. He's sovereign. He has a plan. There's a purpose. We're all on the long journey towards what God has put in place. But in amongst all of that, we are in control. We're in control of ourselves. We're in control of how we respond. We're in control. We're not in control of what happens to us, but we are in control of how we respond to it. You know, often people pray about, you know, their mind and they want, they don't understand that actually the Bible says we are the ones who take every thought captive and we are the ones who make it obedient to Christ. Where is the making it come from? It's not coming from God making us do that. He's just told us how. We're the ones who have the responsibility to exercise our will, our choice, and say, I choose to do what God's told me to do. Therefore, I'm going to take every thought captive and make it obedient. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. This day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now because God's good and he's in charge and he wants to be a good father, he also tells us what to choose. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. I think it's probably one of the most painful, brave, courageous, self hurt inflicting thing God ever did was to give humanity choice because he loves us with every ounce of his being and yet so often the power we have to disobey and to go our own way and to do our own thing and not always on purpose sometimes just because we don't know any better I imagine it must be very painful for him. See, I set before you a choice. Please choose life. But then he steps back and says, you choose. You get to choose. I honor you. I give you enough respect. I give you responsibility to choose. I don't want robots who have no other option but to follow me, to worship me, to do as I say. That is not the God we serve. He gives us choice. Matthew 23 verse 37. O oh Israel, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's Jesus speaking, by the way. A, I love the fact that Jesus compares himself to a hen. I think that's quite cute. B, his desire to gather us, to protect, to, to be everything he is to us, was halted and obstructed. His will, how I have longed, his will is to become that covering for us. And it's obstructed not by a plan of the enemy, not by all of hell breaking loose. No, obstructed by what? You were not willing. 
That's sobering to me. We're very quick sometimes to blame the enemy for a whole bunch of things <laughs> without realizing that sometimes he's not anywhere to be seen where it's just our own will at work. I want to look at some examples in the scripture where the will leads these three different aspects of what I've just described humans are made up of. I'm going to show you how the will leads the body, how the will leads the soul, and how the will leads the spirit. Let's look first at how an example of how the will can lead the soul area. So remember, soul is the mind, it's the emotions, and it's our personalities and our intellect. So how do we do that? Well, Psalm 43 verse 5 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? This is David speaking. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. From where is David leading himself? From what part? It's from his will. He says, I will. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not, it's not a thought. It's literally an internal conviction. I will worship him. Why are you so downcast? Soul. Emotions. Why are you negative? Why are you seeing all the bad? No, I will. And actually, you see David do this right through Psalms. He's literally, so many times, he looks at his natural world and you see him relating to the natural world with strong emotions, with deep and dark thoughts, with, with him as a person, his personality. And, and yet you see him, I will. I will look to the, mount, to the hills where there's my... I will. There's just decision after decision after decision to, go a, to lead his soul. And if David can do that, we can do that. It's actually how we're supposed to be getting through the destruction and toxicity around us is by allowing our will or empowering our will to lead where it needs to lead. You know, keys to freedom, for those of you who've done it, you'll know what I'm talking about, but keys to freedom is one of the best ways to learn how to lead your soul area. Actually, how do you take your thoughts captive and make them obedient? Because there's ways to do it. There's handy top tips. There's things that practical ways in which you can actually learn to, to operate from your will as opposed to allowing your soul to just have free reign. Because if you don't lead it, it will lead you. So Keys to Freedom is a way to help you with some practical ways to do that. It talks about emotions. It talks about... Uh, working through some healing so that you're better able to safely lead yourself from your will. So that's an example of the will leading the soul area. Let's look at the will leading the body. Now I, I find this, uh, it's Luke one thirty-eight. So this is where the angel of the Lord has come to Mary and told her that... Um, or ask, it's actually, this is what the Lord would like to do. And her response is, yes, I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. She willingly submits 
her body. The Lord is not a controlling, coercive tyrant. He didn't, he had her consent. She had to give consent because it would violate who God is to without an, a, a, the autonomy and the agency and the authority of Mary's will over her body to willingly give her body for the purposes of God. That had to happen because it wouldn't otherwise tally up with who God is. If she just woke up one day and she was pregnant, that, that doesn't make sense. There had to be that exchange and that willingness and our, and our bodies have to be led by our will. Otherwise our bodies will just do whatever feels good. Takes will to eat healthily to exercise, to refuse to become reliant on artificial stimulants. It takes will. You have to decide. It's, if you just leave it up to your body to go, oh, I'll just, you know, whatever. It, it, I'm, you know as well as I do, your body does not automatically choose all the right things. It's an unruly child. It needs to be led from that center of who we are, from the authority, autonomy, and agency of us as humans, it needs to be led. And I can tell you this, the body actually becomes quite obedient when you lead from that place. I remember a few years ago where I was, um, I desperately wanted to like olives. You thought I was gonna give you like a really serious example, didn't you? This is going to be about olives. But this blows my mind. Listen to this, though. This is absolutely 100% true. I was coming up to my 40th birthday, a uh, long time ago now, and I was like, I, I, I'm 40, I should like olives. <laughs> olives, port, and something else, I can't remember. Oh, Stilton. Those are the things I feel like at 40 that you should like. And I didn't like any of those things. So I made it my business. And I, and I, and I still haven't managed poor or Stilton, but olives were my number one. Like, I'm going to like olives. I'm going to like olives. But I'm telling you, every time I put an olive in my mouth, my entire body would just go. It was, it was repulsive to me. And yet I determined I am going to like olives. And so over a period of about six months, I decided within myself from my will that I was going to like olives. I am not kidding you. It took maybe six to nine months and I began to slowly actually enjoy them and now 10 years later I'm like I love olives I have them at every opportunity my taste buds literally submitted to my will because it's not that I put them in my mouth now and I'm like oh I'm gonna have to cope with this because I want to like them no I genuinely like them and I have no scientific research done on how that's possible, I just know my body decided to come under the authority of my will. Let's look, I don't have long, so I'm gonna go fast. Will leading spirit. Well, this is where we get excited now. Luke 23, verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and when he had said this he breathed his last his spirit obeyed his will what what part did he release his spirit from spirit couldn't release his spirit 
It, it had to, there was a decision, there was a will, there was something, a, a seat of authority somewhere within him that released his spirit. Now, that was able to happen because if we backtrack a few verses in Luke 22, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's a huge crisis happening here. Because Jesus does not want to go to the cross. And I think it's really important just to stay there for a moment. Because so often we're for the joy set before him. And yes, Jesus had the joy set before him. And yes, Jesus knew the big plan and he knew the reason why he was sent. But Jesus is also fully human. And in the same way that Mary needed to give her willing permission for him to be born, Jesus had to give his willing permission for him to die. God was not going to force him. And Jesus says, if you are willing, in Luke 22 verse 42, if you are willing, here we go to the Father's will now. Take this cup from me. And then he says probably the most important sentence that's ever been spoken in the history of mankind. He says, yet, not my will. But yours be done. And can I tell you that's probably a prayer each of us should pray on a daily basis. Because our humanity likes to do its own thing. We're just wired for our own strength, our own resources, our own ideas, our own strategies, our own way of doing things. And yet here's Jesus who facing it all he has to you know he has to he knows he's going to have to sacrifice his body so all three parts of him are going to feel this decision because his body's going to be broken his soul is going to be crushed and his spirit's going to be released so when he says not my will but yours be done he says it fully knowing it's actually what made Jesus perfect. It was that decision. Because it's the decision that Adam and Eve failed on. It was that moment of not my will, but your will be done. If Adam and Eve would have said that, we won't be where we are. But Jesus faced the full force of knowing that his three parts would be going through what they went through and decided from the center from the seat of authority autonomy and agency within him as a human being to submit his will to his fathers i don't think we can ever underestimate the power of submitting our will to his i've always found it quite interesting how we often talk about I give my life to Jesus or I've given my life to Jesus or I've invited him into my heart or and they're great sentiments obviously but I don't often hear I've given my will to Jesus don't often hear those words of I've submitted I've surrendered I think sometimes it's good to use the words that 
describe most accurately actually what needs to happen. If we go on to the next slide. In a moment. There we go. There's more to it than this. If you look at the blue area, the body, soul, spirit, and the will in the middle, that blue zone, that's us as humans and the inside of us. That's what we are the most responsible for. That's where the work needs to happen. That's where, when we talk about working on the inside, when we talk about our internal landscape, when we talk about inner healing, when we talk about you know, being able to um, live our lives from the inside out, that's what that's talking about. It's those three areas and being able to work from our will at the center of it. It has a direct impact on what's, what we're directly connected to. And there's three areas that I've listed. One is our relationships. Second is our resources. The third is our roles. So our resources really are our finances, our energy, our passion, you know, the, the, our time. It's the only resource that we all have the same amount of in 24 hours. You know, so those are all those things are impacted. They're directly attached to us as a human being. We all have relationships, we all have resources, and we all have roles. And the roles are the things that are the kind of our obligations. You know, the thing you get paid for, or the thing you've said you'll do, or, you know being a parent or, you know, those kind of things. They're roles that we have. And then we have relationships that we choose and then we've got our resources. And those are all absolutely 100% directly impacted by how much we have worked on ourselves on the inside. It makes us basically a better human. And so it's partly to say that in order to see that sometimes people work from the outside in. So they get help for their relationship or they get help because they can't do time management or they get help because they're struggling in balancing work and life and there's all sorts of external things that are going on and they try and get help with that one thing. I need help in this or I need help in that. When actually in my experience, if you flip it the other way around and you work from the inside, those things tend to sort themselves out much easier. Again, shameless plug, keys to freedom will help you Start there. Start from the inside. Start in that blue circle. If you think, I need some work on my relationships and on my resources, on my roles in life, I honestly would say go straight to the blue and start working on the internal. And then the final circle around that is just the wider um, community, sphere of community that we're in. That then also is then impacted by our commitment to work on ourselves. So all that to say... You want to grow, learn, mature, go on a journey of healing or transformation. It doesn't start on the outside, it starts on the inside. And it doesn't even start with one of those three, it starts at the very, very center. I was finding it interesting that Jesus asked people, do you want to be well? Interesting when there's a cripple who clearly needs a miracle and yet Jesus takes the time to ask him, do you want to be well? I wonder how much of us wanting our will is involved in actually gaining traction, gaining growth, gaining maturity, gaining. Our will is so integral that Jesus felt the need, not just once. He didn't just say, do you want to get well? He also said, what do you want to other people who clearly, the blind guy, 
for instance, you'd expect that Jesus knew what he wanted. But no, Jesus took the time to say, what do you want? It's a question I often ask. I sometimes see some clients and it's a question I ask, what do you want? Because what you want is the starting point for where we're going. Because if you don't even know what you want, then getting to where you need to be is going to be difficult. And what we want, A, knowing what we want, and B, surrendering what we want, are probably two of the most key things involved in, in our humanity and in us being able to um, embrace our humanity, but also become more like Jesus, who modeled so beautifully that interaction of not my will, but your will be done. I wonder if we can all stand together. I know I've kind of blasted you with a load of information. But I actually felt a strong conviction to share this tonight. Because we need to know. Sometimes knowing something really helps you move forward in a place where maybe you've felt a bit stuck. And so I just want to take a moment to pray. I wonder if the uh, worship team can come back up. I'll try not to keep you too long. Just take a moment to grab maybe one of the things that I've just talked about. And just focus on it and invite Jesus. Just to speak to you right now. Lord, I thank you that you've promised in your word that you would finish what you started. That you started a good work in us, your children. You started a work. Lord, you'll finish what you started. You'll carry it through to completion. But Lord, we also know that you do not force yourself upon us. You are not coercive or controlling. You don't force us to partner with you. You only invite. And so Lord, I hear tonight an invitation. invitation to allow you more control to invite you into the very center of our humanity that area within ourselves where that throne sits the will essence that 
that you gave us that makes us distinctly human. And Lord, our choice to surrender that part to you, like Jesus did, like Mary did, like David did. of you, less of them, in the name of Jesus. 